0: Well, good morning to you. Uh, We are actually, as was said earlier by Nick, we're going to begin a new series uh, for the next three weeks where we're going to talk about the the love that is revealed from our great God. And so I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible. So uh, right at the beginning. So Genesis, then Exodus, and uh, we're going to be there this morning primarily. And eventually we'll get into Isaiah chapter six, which was just read. Uh, So having said that, uh, imagine going about a normal day of work, and you're working for the family business. Now I know in Lancaster County, that is a very common statement, is that you work a part of a business that was started by a a grandfather or a great-grandfather, and it continues to be passed on down, And, and you are going about the normal work that has been done for generations, and then a moment happens that quite frankly, is a game changer. It may even stop the family business. That is literally what happens in this text that we're going to look at this morning, where Moses, who is going about the family business as a son-in-law, has an encounter that changes everything. And it's found in Exodus 3, he is in the Sinai Peninsula, if you know where that is, that's, you know, so it's to the east of Egypt, to the south of modern day Israel, and, uh, and, and then it's to the west of Saudi Arabia. So that little peninsula that is there is where this takes place, and there is a mountain called Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. You'll see both terms used in the scriptures, and that mountain will become... Uh, known as the mountain of God. And this is where that begins. And so let's look at how the family business, a normal day at work, gets interrupted. So Exodus 3, starting in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led to the far side of the wilderness came to, this, to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw, though the bush was on fire, that it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Uh, So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. (laughs) But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be my sign to you, that it is I who have sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses then said to God, well, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, well, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Let me stop there. So Moses is walking in the wilderness With the flock of his father in law's sheep. He is caring for them. He is doing what he has been doing for years. If you don't know the context of why Moses is even in this region of the world, you'd have to know that that at one point in time, Moses was part of the royal family of Egypt. Yes, he was born of a Hebrew woman, but he had been rescued by the daughter of Pharaoh. And so he grew up in Pharaoh's household. But there came a time when Moses, knowing that his lineage was of the Hebrew people, that he became a defender of them in a moment that he allowed his anger to arise to a fault, where he ends up killing an Egyptian, an Egyptian soldier that was beating a Hebrew slave. As a result, word had gotten out about this killing, and so Moses fled for his life to the Sinai Peninsula. And while there, he meets a woman, that he becomes his wife, and this wife leads him to getting to know Jethro, his father-in-law. And Jethro is a very wealthy man and and is basically a big figure, a significant figure in this part of the world. And so Moses ends up serving him in this desert. For 40 years, he did the mundane. He showed up for work, and he did his job. He did what he was supposed to do on behalf of his father-in-law. Every day seemed like the same day. I'm walking in a wilderness with a bunch of sheep who do not talk to me. So now he comes to a strange sight. He sees something in the distance. It it appears like a, a bush that is on fire. He walks closer to it and he realizes that this bush is not being consumed. I mean that's a strange sight right there. I mean you're walking up to something that is burning and it's not going away. And so he's drawn to it, and he wants to understand the strangeness of this moment. So as he gets closer, and he, and he stays at you know, the, an appropriate distance to not be burned, but he's getting close enough to see that the branches are staying in the same shape. Nothing is falling. That bush is still standing strong. But then to his alarm, a voice comes out and says, Moses, Moses, here I am, Lord. And, and then you get this, this startlement. It's like, oh my goodness, not only is this a strange a phenomenon going on, a burning bush, but now it is speaking to me. I mean, this is not the same day as the day before. This has changed everything. He is now talking to a bush that is burning. I mean, how do you explain this to Jethro? How do you explain this to other shepherds that are part of that tending of the flock? But as he stands there, then God creates a boundary. He says, don't come any closer. But it's in this moment when God says, for you are standing on holy ground, that Moses realizes who he's talking to. He realizes it's God himself. And when he realizes it's God himself, no longer is it about the piqued interest or the curiosity of a bush that is not being consumed by fire. But now it's fear because he has just encountered the living God. He hides his face. He realizes, I am not where I should be right now. He wants to cower and run away to spare his life because he realizes he's in peril. Because coming face to face with a holy, powerful, and awesome God, he realizes, I am not worthy of being here. But yet God doesn't tell him to go away, he merely creates a a boundary and says, Take off your shoes. This is sacred, holy ground. And then he begins to share something that's really important for the future of Moses. There is a vision that God has, a purpose that God has for Moses to fulfill something that was going to change the history of the world. The story is, is that there's a people that he had declared as his own. The people that were descendants of Abraham were his people, but now they're under duress. And God has seen their affliction. He has heard their cry. And now he has moved to rescue them. And then he looks at Moses, who at this point is now hiding his face. He's wanting to back out of the moment. He realizes he's an unclean man. I mean, after all, he's a runaway murderer. I do not belong before a holy God. So he's backing away, keeping his head low. But God is talking to him and he has to stay because he's supposed to respond to the one in authority right there. And and God is telling him about his heart for Israel, his love for Israel, and that he has watched their pain. He has heard their cry. And now he is aroused and he is going to do something on their behalf. But to the startlement of Moses, he says, so I'm sending you. Now imagine... You are a runaway murderer. And you have been hiding out in the desert for 40 years where your business skill is taking care of sheep. And now God says, I'm sending you back to Egypt where you are running from and you are going to be my voice, my spokesman before Pharaoh and you're going to lead my people out of Israel. Now, I want to draw attention to a change in the behavior of Moses. Up to this point, you see Moses wanting to cower away from the presence of God, which was so powerful and intense and holy, realizing he is unholy. But as soon as God says, "I am sending you back to Israel to lead to Egypt to lead Israel out of that land." Now Moses is like, "Wait, wait, wait, wait a second." You see, the fear of God and his holiness in regards to his unholiness as a man is all of a sudden removed by a greater fear, which is to go back to Egypt and be killed by a pharaoh. Interesting how one fear ends up trumping another in this moment. And so he comes before God and says, wait, 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 wait. If I go back there, why would they ever follow me? And so God gives him a couple of things that's going to help him in leading out the nation of Israel out of the nation of Egypt. And so he says that, first of all, you are to tell them that it is God that you are serving, the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, and not just any God. I'm going to give you my name to give to them. So let's pause there for a moment. Up to this point... God was known as the creator God, that's through much of Genesis, and then the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But no name is given to him until this moment. God reveals his personal name to Moses as a means by which Moses' leadership of Israel will become validated. And so he gives him the name That is an exalted name. And he says, so when this name is asked for, what is the name of this God that you supposedly are representing? You are to tell them, I am who I am. I am has sent me to you. And this is his name forever. Forever. That is to be what Moses is to tell the people when they question, well, what God sent you? I mean, you say that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob sent you, but who is this God? Well, it is the I Am. When you understand the meaning of that name, I am, it is to suggest and communicate this idea that that God has always been. Before time even was time, God was. And now that time is in existence, God is. And when even time ceases to exist on this earth, God will be. God is always the I am. He is an all-existent God. He is not bound by time. And this is my name, the I Am has sent you. The Hebrew term for this is Yahweh. And so when you hear the term Yahweh, you are literally hearing the name that God has given himself and given them for us to know him as. It is not just the God of, it is Yahweh, the I Am. So he is revealing himself powerfully to Moses in this moment. Because he's asking Moses to do something that Moses feels like he doesn't have the skill set to do. He doesn't have the desire to do it. And he certainly feels like that, well, if I go, I'm not going to be, I'm going to be run out of town and made a laughingstock. But God says, no, you have met the I am. You have met me, Yahweh, and you are going to lead my people out of this land. So I'm going to stop there for a moment and just tell you, I am not going to fill in the gaps. We're going to skip later uh, to this text. But one of the things that is closed out that we just read says that as one of the signs to validate that God is truly with Moses, as he tells Moses, you will eventually, when you bring that nation of Israel out of Egypt, you will eventually worship me on this mountain. So he's telling him, you're going to come back to this spot. So you have just talked to me in this burning bush, but you're going to come again and you're going to be here with the nation of Israel and you are going to encounter me at this location again. That's part of the validation to affirm to Moses that God is still with him. So in between, the text that we're about to go to is that Moses goes back to Egypt through several significant events. He ends up leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt, and they end up going into the Sinai Peninsula, and they're back at this mountain. Now, I just skipped over a lot of details. If you know your scripture, you know there's a lot of pretty cool and incredible things that happens between chapter 3 and chapter 24. 19 where we're about to go. So if you can just turn to the right to chapter 19 in the book of Exodus. The location that we're now at is back at the mountain. All right, so they've been rescued. They've seen the power of God in Egypt. They've seen the power of God leaving Egypt, and now they're experiencing the power of God by sustaining them in a desert. But things kind of go awry because as they're starting to see the, the challenges that lie before them, Moses' leadership is being challenged a little bit. But now they find themselves, after journeying into the desert, they find themselves at the mountain of God. Or at this point, the Israelites don't even know about this mountain, but, but Moses realizes, this is where God spoke to me. This is where God sent me back to Egypt to rescue Israel. And now I'm back there. So let's look at verse 1. In chapter 19, it says, On the first day of the third month after Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations of the world, you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. You will be, my, be for me the kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is God's vision for Israel. So they will become this kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And these are the words you're to tell the Israelites. So verse 7, so Moses went back, summoned the elders of the people, and, and then set before them all the words that the, that the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has asked. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow today and tomorrow, and then have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. But put limits around, uh, for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal should be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain." After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they, and they washed their clothes. And then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. And then on the morning of the third day, there was thunder, and there was lightning, and with a thick cloud over the mountain and the very loud trumpet blast, everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, "Go down and warn the people so that they do not force their way through to see me, the, uh, <clears throat> to see the Lord." And many of them, and many of them would end up perishing. So then even the priests who approached the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. But Moses told the Lord. The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way up through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, Interesting context. So you have a lot of similarities between the encounter of God and Moses with the burning bush several years, you know, months and, and time before, and to now this moment where the nation of Israel is there at that same mountain. God reveals in this text, in verses 5 and 6, this vision that this people, this group called Israel, that is a part of Abraham's lineage, they are going to be a special nation. They're going to be the nation of priests by which the Lord will communicate his truths and we will worship because of the enablement that God does through that people. So this is a special vision that God reveals. And then, uh, having said that, then he gives them a, a, a purpose as to why this encounter will happen. Because in verse 9, he says, I'm going to let them experience this by being at the foot of the mountain, hearing me talk to you. Because the journey, they don't realize this, the journey is going to be for 40 more years in that desert. And they were going to be following Moses. And so God wanted them to know that he is the one speaking to Moses. So he gives permission For the people to come to the mountain when Moses goes up. So that they can hear the voice of God talking to Moses. But then God outlines a process of preparation. And in that preparation, he says, first of all, boundaries. Do not let them go onto the foot of the mountain. Let them stay at the backside of that footing so that they can hear, but they do not approach. Remember what God said to Moses at the burning bush? Do not come any closer. Stay right there. Take your shoes off because this is holy, sacred ground. And then God proceeds to talk to Moses. In this moment, it's the people that now are coming to that mountain. And then God creates a boundary by which they're to stop right there. Do not approach any further lest I come against you, lest you would experience my justice coming against you for having violated my rule of approaching this mountain. So they experienced the holiness of God. They experienced the justice of God by the law of God in this moment that they're to stay at the boundaries that were established. And then on top of that, they were to prepare themselves to consecrate themselves, to realize and to prepare themselves to come against or to come up and be face to face with an all-powerful, all-holy God. And you don't do that lightly. You prepare your heart. And so they wash their clothes and they begin and the things that they practice in their marriage beds were to be set aside for that time because they were going to on the 3rd day encounter God. So the day happens. They come up. They're at the foot of the mountain. And they already see smoke billowing. They see fire churning they see that it is shaking the mountain itself and their feet is being rumbled by the very things that are happening on top of that mountain. And so what was anticipatory up to this moment has now become fearful. You see, up to this moment, they were for two days realizing and talking, we're gonna see God. We're gonna, we're gonna come encounter God. But now they've been to- they're seeing what the presence of God is actually like and they realize, oh my goodness, we could die. And they, they trembled. They realized how powerful God is, how holy God is. They see the, how exalted He is. And as a result, it actually exposed how simple they were. It exposed how insignificant they were compared to the incredible awesomeness of God. What a moment. I mean, they're, they're seeing this happen right before their eyes. And then Moses. Goes and walks up the mountain. At this point, they realize just how significant it is. Moses is now walking up. He goes into that cloud, and then they hear God talking to him. Man what they must have thought in that moment. And, and, and they see that, that, that this encounter is happening between God and Moses, but they, but they can only experience it through the audible because now Moses is enveloped by the cloud and they can't see what's going on. But they, all they know is it's powerful and it's intense. I want us to turn to Exodus 24. So just turn to the right a little bit more. We're going to get a little bit of the description from their perspective. Now, Moses has come out of the mountain and, and, then, and talked to them, and there was a moment of, of great sin that had happened, but now he's back up on the mountain, and, and he's talking to them, and here's how the people responded to what they saw. When Moses went up, verse 15 of chapter 24, when Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on that mountain, and he stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I just alluded, again, what's happened between chapter 19 and chapter 24 is that Moses had gone up on that mountain the first time and had received the Ten Commandments, which basically gave what the definition of holiness. Because the Ten Commandments state what, what evil is, which then implies what holiness is. And so they experienced that already the first time. But guess what happened? Moses took too long up on the hill. And they couldn't see him. They must have assumed that the consuming fire consumed him. And so it wasn't just like they gave up and that he was taking so long. They likely thought, wow, it's been a long time. He's probably dead. So we need to create a new God. So they created a golden calf out of their own gold and from jewelry that they had melted and so on. And they began to worship something they made with their own hands. And then Moses comes down and sees this horrific thing. And, and, and as a result, they experience the presence of God in anger. They experienced the fact that God purified them through his judgment. And then now Moses goes back up the hill. We experience this. And they say, he went up into that mountain. And it was like a consuming fire. And they stood to watch. Because now they understand That God somehow protected Moses. And when Moses would go up there, there was a protection, some kind of atonement that had been made, that a man who was simple like the rest of them was able to go into the presence of God and return safely. We also know from other texts in the book of Exodus that after these moments up on the mountain, God would visit with Moses when Moses would go into the tent of meeting. That's a a tent that was special, a special tent that was kept outside the camp. So all the tents of the people, because keep in mind, they're going through a desert. They're not staying there. They're traveling. And so they have all these tents, but there was a tent that was outside the camp where Moses would go to talk to God. And it says that when Moses would go there, that God would allow a fiery pillar to be over that, that tent. And then as he's in that tent talking to God, the people would come outside their tents, stand at their entrances, and stare at what was going on in that moment. They were looking and they could tell that God was there and that Moses was talking to him, And they stood with great awe. Remember what I said at the beginning, that when Moses saw the burning bush, he was intrigued. He was drawn in close because he wants to see what's going on with this fire. What is it about fire that draws our interest? I grew up in a town of 2,500 people. When the fire whistle would blow, it it was an automatic turn on your AM radio to 1490 KKAN. And you would listen, and within seconds, they would say, "Uh, there's been a fire alert, and and the fire is located at whatever street and address. And then they would give the instructions, but you're not to go there so that the emergency personnel can arrive safely. About 300 people would show up at every fire to watch the fire personnel. I mean, it's just something about it that when you're in a small town, there's nothing to do. If you hear there's a fire, it's like, let's go watch it. Now you stay back, there's borders you're 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 told you know you got to stay back here so that the fire trucks can come in and they fight it and you just stare i i there's when you get near a fire like especially like when you're in a, doing a bonfire i love to be close and i like to just stare into the fire and it's just something unique and powerful and amazing when you look at how fire just feeds on that wood and it just draws you in and you realize just how intense it is. There's a unique beauty to it and it intrigues you, but you know to not get close. You know that it would be dangerous to be there and it would be horrific if you were enveloped by it. So imagine, you're standing at the foot of this mountain. You see Moses go up again into it, and he walks into the cloud. And to the people, they're looking. It's a consuming fire to them. And yet, Moses, they're confident now, will return. Imagine how strange it is. And it gives you understanding as to why the people would stare and watch. This was powerful to them, to see a fire that a man could walk into and walk out. But it was also powerful to them that this fire could shake mountains. This fire, they could hear the rolling of a voice coming out of it. And they realized that this was no ordinary power. There was a respect and an awe of God's presence. Huh. So what happens? Moses comes back out. They realize he truly has been talking to God, so they follow him for 40 years. 40 years before they finally get to the promised land. 40 years of waiting and watching, but trusting in, you know, they griped along the way, but they trusted in Moses' leadership because they knew that he went and talked to God and survived. You see, there's something going on here that they begin to notice That that the immediate response when you encounter the presence of God and the holiness of God is your sinfulness is revealed. That's a thing that they realize very clearly is I am a sinful person as soon as they come and encounter the presence of God. But they're also learning that if God invites you and pulls you in and atones for you, that you can survive the encounter with God. They're beginning to learn this, and and they're seeing this, that Moses repeatedly comes into the, the cloud of God and the fire of God and comes out unscathed, but yet a radiance to his face. They're realizing that if God invites, then it's possible to survive his amazing power, even though you might be a sinful person. So what is going on that God is able, that a man, that some mankind, some men, women can somehow come in the presence of God and survive? I mean, that just would, would just boggle the mind when you consider what they're seeing and connecting it to what ends up happening. So I want us to turn to Isaiah 6, which was read earlier in the service. So you turn your Bibles just to the right. It's not too far, but it's almost in the middle of your scriptures. In Isaiah 6, a similar encounter happens with a prophet from Israel. So here's an Israelite several, several hundred years later and, and is now talking to the nation of Israel. And, and he's having a similar experience. And there's an aha moment just like there was with Moses. Moses was initially intrigued by the burning bush. And then a voice comes out and he realizes it's God and he backs off and a border is set. Look what happens to Isaiah that's so similar. Verse 1 In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the entire temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of their voices, the door at the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled again with smoke. Verse five: Woe to me! I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have now seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So I think a moment happened. Again, Isaiah has been communicating on behalf of God to the Israelite people already prior to this moment. But Isaiah is beginning to describe something that God allowed him to see. And at that moment, he's just taking it in and he's describing, it's like, I see this throne and I see the person on the throne with, with his robe filling the entire room. I see these strange creatures with six wings covering their eyes, their feet, and flying. But then I hear this declaration, holy, holy, holy is that Lord who sits upon that throne and his whole, the whole earth will be filled by that glory. And then Isaiah realizes it's God. And now he stops describing what he sees because he realizes it's God. He backs down. He he's now realizing I'm in trouble. I'm in peril here. And so what does he say? Woe to me. Woe to me. I have I, I'm a man of unclean lips. Perhaps he, he chose that, that, that statement because realizing he had just heard the words uh, that were echoing from the angels' lips. And, and he realizes that the declaration of who is on that throne. And he realizes, I don't have that holiness upon my lips. I am an unclean man. And I come from unclean people. He is wanting to escape because he realizes his life is in danger. But God provides a way. God provides wants him to embrace this encounter. God wants him to hear from him and to speak to him, so God provides a means of cleansing by sending a coal from the, from the altar that was right there, and, and it was a burning coal, and the angel took it with tongs and brought it to the lips of Isaiah and touched it and said, now you're clean. Your sins have been atoned for. You can stay. And then God says, who will go for me? And tell the nation of Israel the things I want to say. And Isaiah says, send me. I'm willing to go. Again, these encounters all have consistency. That when mankind engaged a, the powerful and living God in his full presence, the immediate response, once they knew who it was, was, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I can't survive this moment I am a sinful person. I can't engage him. He is completely holy. There is nothing imperfect in him. I should not be here. I need to slowly back away and hopefully escape with my life. But what we experience in each of them is that while, yes, the power of God was what it was, and yes, his holiness was revealed, but so also was his love. You see, the love was manifested so powerfully at the burning bush when he says, Moses, I'm going to send you to a people that I've heard their cry. I've watched their suffering, and I'm going to rescue them. And I'm going to rescue them through you. That love that was on display, that was right there with this holiness and justice. And then you see this moment up on the mountain with the Israelites, where they're allowed now to experience that fire that consumes so greatly, but yet didn't consume Moses. And they realize God... While all-powerful and I am all-evil and I am not worthy to be here, God can rescue those who he invites. Because Moses was invited and he was spared. The peril was not his to be found because God invited him and rescued him. And now you have Isaiah, a later generation. He's now encountering the same God with all his presence and the smoke that's billing. It's all consistent. And he realizes, oh my goodness, this is God. He's right here in front of me and he wants to back away. I am unclean with my list. But then God's like, no, I want you to stay. So I'm going to provide the coverage. He cleanses him on the spot. You see, I think there is much to be taken from this. When encountering God, when you realize that God is so holy, in all his being, he is so holy, there's nothing imperfect inside of him. There's no ill motivation. There is always a pure motivation, and his word is always true. When you consider those statements and you compare them to any of us, is our word always true? Are our motivations always pure? The reality is no. And as a result, when you come encounter the, the presence of, of God fully, you realize who He is and what you are as well. But God, in His fullness, also shows His character of love. And that His intent and His motive and His purposes and His vision is to invite people to come into His presence and live. You see, that's the fullness of God's character is that yes, we are sinful. Yes, God is all holy. Those are contrasting ideas. But God is also all loving. He has seen our suffering. He has heard our cry. And God invites and brings us into what would be perilous otherwise. And we survive and we find life. That's the greatness of our God. Let's pray. Father God, I am so thankful that you allowed these scriptures to be given to us so we can know what has happened, so that we can then, as we understand, yes, you are holy, yes, you are are angry at the sinfulness inside of us, and yes, you despise that sin and you despise our actions, but you also fully are loving and you don't just sit on the side and watch us be destroyed, but rather you invite and you enable encounter. God, I ask that if there are people here that know that they are sinful and they have not accepted the invitation to come across that line and to be in your presence and to survive, not only survive, but to live. I ask God that you would provoke their hearts with an image of an all-powerful, all-incredibly holy God, but a God that is so full of love, it has no boundaries. So God, Reveal yourself to us afresh and anew today. So just a little bit of time after they had entered the promised land, a unique moment happened for King David. You see, he had the stories of Exodus with him. He was now the king of that nation of Israel. They had claimed the land, but now his son had turned against him. And he is running in peril, (laughs) in fear of his own life. But in an encounter with God, David had a similar experience as Moses, as the people of Israel had, well, when next to that mountain of God. And that encounter was this. He realized his life was in peril. But he had also known the character of his God. He knew that God's character was justice. He knew that God's character was holy. But he also knew that God's character was love and that God's love for David would spare him. Consider what David wrote in Psalm 3.3 where he says, But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who then lifts my head high. You see, The natural instinct when you come face to face or encounter with the presence of God is to bow the head and back away because you know you're in peril. And you know that you're unworthy of that moment. But David had learned that God's invitation is to reach down, put his fingers under your chin, and to lift your face up to look at him so that he could speak to you. God is the lifter of our heads. He is inviting you into his presence. He wants a relationship with you. That's why he went to all this work to redeem you. Over the next two weeks, we're going to talk about how God then ultimately makes that invitation and how he lifts your head. And it was through the work of the cross and the empty tomb. And we will engage it the next two weeks. I trust that you will come as that it's an opportunity to understand who God is. So as we walk away today remembering that God is so holy, so powerful, that we're unworthy to be in his presence. Let that be our response. But then be grateful that he invites us in and he lifts our heads because then we do not have to fear destruction. We do not have to fear his holiness because he has atoned for us like he did Isaiah. So Lord, let us experience this week what it means, the beauty of entering into your presence without fear, because you've been the lifter of our heads. We thank you that you are holy, you are just, but we're also thankful you are filled with love that has no boundary. In Jesus' name, I can even pray that. Amen. If you want to experience and know that all-powerful God, we have people that will be underneath the cross who will be glad to talk to you and invite you into a relationship with him. Be blessed this week, encountering our God. Amen.